international best-selling author Kat Cho. <laughs> and I'm Clarabel Ortega, fresh off my GMA appearance, and this is Write or Die. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we like this? You mean the best? Yeah, we're the best, obviously. <laughs> um, I loved your Good Morning America appearance, by the way. It was so fun. Thank you. I, I loved it too. It was it was great. It was uh, It was so nice to talk to kids like see their questions how smart they were and like what they picked up from the book um it was amazing and congrats on being a bestseller in singapore that is amazing (laughs) it was so random because i had a dentist appointment (laughs) so i woke up (laughs) this story so i woke up super early because i was like i can't be late to my dentist appointment and i don't know how well the subway runs anymore these days so um because i have like this implant in my mouth it's not um it's not anything too serious but I had to go and I like had this message from Beth being like like have you seen this well like I saw just saw the like you know the um preview of the text that you get kind of on your screen mm-hmm. she's like did you see this and I was like oh no what bad thing happened again like on the internet and then I opened it and she's like you're a bestseller in Singapore and I was like is she punking me <laughs> Like, is, is she playing a prank on me right now? But, and, and the thing is, is like, it's all the, the page that she sent me was like all of them. So it's like adult fiction, nonfiction, all of that. So I was scrolling and scrolling and I was like, Beth is playing a prank on me and I don't understand what it's about. And then I finally got to the children's <laughs> section and saw my name. So. <laughs> she wasn't pranking you. Beth would never. I think she, of the three of us, of the three of us, the only one who does dumb prank stuff is me uh, because I'm always like yeah this happened and the both of you are like instantly believe me even though I keep <laughs> lying to you guys all the time um, faith in you. <laughs> um so what are we gonna talk about today I know what we're gonna talk about but yeah, so I'm trying try to make it sound natural <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping this into the episode so people know how unnatural we actually are yeah in life. yeah we actually discuss Usually, Usually. sometimes we'll just go off on tangents because that's how it happens. We'll just start talking about nothing and then we'll just (laughs) keep going for like 40 minutes. But we usually discuss like what we're going to talk about uh, beforehand. And there was just a a, a situation with like a call out and a book getting canceled. We're not going to talk about like what book or what happened. But because it's. It could be any week. We could be referring to any week. Any week. So often. Right. But I think that the thing that we should be talking about, we're not talking about, we're not directing the sort of the demand for change in the right direction. Um, so somebody pointed out on Twitter, there's no shortage of authors who's, who are just going to write whatever. And yep. like, as somebody who worked with self-published authors for eight years, I can tell you how fucking true that statement is <laughs> because people so will true. literally see a squirrel in their driveway <laughs> and they'll be like that squirrel is my grandfather and I need to write about it <laughs> and you know they believe it and like they're gonna people are gonna write about just whatever they feel like writing and uh-huh. 
that's there's so many people in the world so many people writing books especially nowadays um especially right now when everybody's home and everybody feels like they can do it because it's like easy or whatever um <laughs> it's not they obviously don't listen to this podcast spoiler alert it's not it's easy okay so hard um but i think that there's never going to be a shortage of bad uh, premises of authors writing things that are not well researched and what is the point of agents and publishing existing if they're not there to weed out the things that are not that shouldn't be in the market and I think that nowhere is that more necessary than when it comes to books that are racist books that are colonizing um, others ideas and cultures and um that are being so blatantly disrespectful about it. It's mm-hmm. not even like I took my time and I really researched this and and I'm um and and I'm coming from a place of of love and of and of appreciation. Like not even that, which even then like I still feel like people should let others write their own story. That's my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Not everybody feels like that and obviously yeah. I'm not Jesus, so you don't have to listen to me. Um <laughs> But I think that there's just such a blatant disrespect and such like, I don't care about mm-hmm. the things that are happening to you. And I don't, I I only want to write this story because I feel like it in my heart and whether or not it harms people, I don't give a shit. And then after on the flip side of it, I don't, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to do anything to hold myself accountable if other people call me out on it. So it's like yeah. all of this, like saying no, no, no across the board. Cause it's like, okay, if you are willing to take that risk, then you have to know that if you mess up, people have the exact same right as you did to write it, to tell you that it is not well done. And I think that the, that, that disconnect ha- happens a lot. But the thing is, if we don't have agents and we don't have publishers sort of saying this isn't right, we're never going to get anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you all. I'm so sick of hearing people say that they're listening and learning and then keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, because you're lying. If you're, if the, I can see a premise and I can see a thing that's being done and it's so obviously wrong to me and to so many other by POC in the community like just like it's so obvious like don't you feel like that also like it's so obviously wrong how don't yeah. they see it um <laughs> I, I yeah it, it gets very frustrating for sure because like merely the blur of a premise we're like this sounds shady and then we try to give it the benefit of the doubt because we don't want to be stepping on somebody else's dream we know it, how hard it was to get here so we keep on like holding our tongue and holding our tongue, but more and more that comes out about the book, we're like, okay, no, we were right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, even like, I saw people in the latest situation trying to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And mm-hmm. the thing that, the thing that like really frustrates me is that I knew, I, some instinctual thing told me like, this is not going to end up good. Mm-hmm. Like, I just have a feeling that this is not going to and maybe it's like red flags that I'm not even realizing that I'm registering because this has happened so many times before. Yeah. But I was right. <laughs> I was right. And like there's a history of the person sort of just dismissing everything that 
people like us go through in the Mm -hmm. community. And I just feel like there's no excuse at this point. Like, there's no excuse not to to try and educate yourself. If you're if you're going into any other business setting, you're going to want to know what's going on around you. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the danger a lot of times with publishing is that it's seen as this like very like it's a creative field but that doesn't take away the business side of it and then people just go into it only thinking about the passion they have for writing and not the fact that they're going into an entire industry Mm -hmm. and that what they write and what they put out affects other people and that their colleagues are going to have opinions on those things (laughs) um but going back to the the original point like we editors and agents like you guys got to do better. Like some of some of editors and agents obviously are doing a great job. And like those are the people that we like need to keep encouraging and like pushing. But the truth is these books are getting through because of them. Unfortunately, marketing is not catching it. The publishers are not catching it. The agents aren't catching it. And we're we're just gonna always be in this like talking about the same thing over and over again until you guys make a commitment to educate yourselves and to actually listen to us even when it's uncomfortable for you to do that yeah I think I think the the thing is is that when I agree with what what you were just saying Clarabo about how if someone wants to get into this industry it's also on them to educate themselves about like the the conversations happening in the industry and what's going on here. And I think I was thinking about that because I'm so sure that a response that someone might give to that is like, Oh, but like all these conversations are happening on Twitter or on like, how do we find it all? And it's so, it's so all over the place and, and it's so confusing and convoluted, but, and, and sure, some of the current conversations are still happening on Twitter, but a lot of these things that we're talking about have become like more formal think pieces. There are parts of panels. There are parts of blog posts. They're on like websites that are are proven to be helpful. Like we need diverse books. Tor dot um, I know that Bustle has stuff about it. Like Book Riot. Like all of those those websites that are are by and for people in the book community have discussed it and kind of have like gathered resources about it so I really don't think there's any excuse at this point plus in any other industry I keep on bringing this up people act like publishing is not a an industry is not a business and it is and we need to get our minds around that in any other business when you get into a new job you are expected to learn like the standards and the importance of like how to do your job right. Like I used to work in clinical research. I have not worked in clinical research for, I want to say, oh gosh, three or four years now. Oh my gosh. Um, has it really been that long? Three years. So let's say three years, but I'm a hundred percent certain that things have changed. So if I decided that I want to go back to that, I would have to learn all the things that have happened since I left and all the new standards and all the new conversations, including the, like the fact that I'm sure there's like new ways that people have been trained in order how to interact with human subjects, with patients, things like that. Because whenever people are involved, there's a lot of stuff that has to do with like how you interact with the other person, whether they're your customer, they're your reader, they're your editor, they're your manager, right? So publishing is the same way and it is on anyone who is, who is entering this community 
to know what what these conversations are and why we talk about them the way we talk about and give yourself a foundation of education. I mean, listening to this podcast alone, you're probably giving yourself some kind of foundation of education. So things, resources like this exist. And we also have resources on our website. We made a whole entire list of resources for how to be anti-racist. We put all this stuff in our show notes. I have it on my website, catchrights.com. Clarible has it on her website, clarableortega.com. So there's a lot of resources just from this conversation right here that we're having. On top of that, I do think that everyone has an individual responsibility, but then you have to look at your power within this industry. Do you have a bigger platform? Are you a gatekeeper? Do you have more spread and does your voice get heard more? It could be get heard more because you're a best-selling author. It could get heard more because you're an agent. It could get heard more because you're an editor, a publisher, a marketing person, like a well-known voice in the community. And if you have a higher power in this industry, then you have a higher responsibility. We're going full Spider-Man here, okay? With great power (laughs) comes great responsibility. So if you want to be an agent or an editor, you are going to be a gatekeeper. And therefore, it is on you that much more to be updated on these conversations and to make sure that you're not letting books through that can harm whole entire communities that are already marginalized, okay? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing if it's like, this book says that, like, like this main character hates girls with the name, like, Diana. And then a girl whose name is Diana is like, I'm harmed by this. You could be like, okay, we can have a conversation about that. But you aren't, like, historically marginalized because your name is Diana. So it's a different conversation. Right. Although some people might argue that they are. But this is not for them. They Th- can. That's not, yeah. You need to go do the readings. Yeah. So that, I, mean, I think that's where you know, Clarabelle was getting at and and where I'm trying to get at is that we oftentimes in these conversations, we really hold the authors accountable and we should Mm -hmm. to a degree, like, like we should hold them accountable in a professional way, not in a, I hope your family gets hurt kind of way, you know, people have done that and that's not okay. That's unacceptable. Like threatening people, doxing people, like, trying to harm people is not okay, but telling them that they have harmed you and trying to educate them on that and using assertive language is fine. But yeah. So anyway, holding authors accountable, I think we should still do that. But I think oftentimes these conversations end with the authors. And I think that's where your frustration was coming from too, Clarabelle, was that like, we, we ask the the author is the one most affected by pulling the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's like their paycheck. Right. That's their livelihood. The agent is, you know, it, they are affected, but like they, if, if they're a good agent, they probably have lots of clients. So it's a smaller degree for them. And then an editor is get, it gets paid a salary. Like editors don't work on commission. Usually I, I don't, I think there's like maybe bonuses if like their book hits the best sellers list, but so an editor is even less affected livelihood-wise, right? How, so we're affecting the author more, we're holding them more responsible, and then we're okay with the agent and the editor because they put up, like, one apology. Right. It it's like a scape... Right it feels me. like a scapegoat yeah. situation. Like, okay, we did the thing. Like, we got rid of the author. We got rid of the bad thing. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like that isn't the solution to this problem. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes books 
with like the foundation of a book is such that you can't fix it by revising it um, and it's still going to be harmful uh, but that doesn't mean that that's the only thing that that author can write first of all and second of yes. all what did like exactly like what consequence did they to the, did the agent and editor go through and it's like it would be fine this would be fine if like they learned their lesson but they're mm-hmm. not because it, yeah. it keeps happening and a lot of times it is repeat offenders like over and over again and like yeah that makes you feel like okay so maybe this is not just like a harmless mistake maybe there are some biases that are happening there that just keep not being addressed in any sort of way and obviously that's going to be so uncomfortable for a publisher to do but that's what change that's that's what it takes to make change you know yeah it's never going to get better until we start having like those really uncomfortable conversations and being honest with ourselves and if there's a senior editor at your publisher who's just keeps messing up over and over again i'm sorry but have a conversation with them because it's going to keep happening like people are only going to get more frustrated it's they're not gonna forget and eventually people are gonna start noticing who these editors and agents are and they're gonna start putting out names it's not gonna be us we uh it won't be me (laughs) Uh, i I, yeah i'm a little bit too much of a foot in both sides of the right line but um, it will happen like people are gonna be like okay let's investigate because you get fed up after a while you know and you have to understand like we are being affected these things daily we're Mm -hmm. being affected our jobs our livelihoods like not just when we speak out but when we don't speak out because we are we we are we have to face the consequences of a of an uneven industry Mm -hmm. so we're getting paid less we're getting less book deals we're getting less support behind us from the very beginning because people don't believe that we can garner the kind of audience that a skinny cis white woman can and until that changes and until publishing opens their eyes to our true potential, mm-hmm. we have to keep fighting for these things because who else is going to do it? Shit. We have to do it for ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and then when we do fight for these things, we're, we're, we're still at risk because we're at risk for, you know, editors and agents not wanting to work with us. We're at risk for being alienated in so many different ways. And then what we were talking about before, every single time one of these things happen, there's a think piece about it in some (laughs) fucking newspaper or whatever. Yeah. And then a wave of trolls comes and harasses us. Yeah. So we're getting hit at every single turn in this process. Mm -hmm. How do you expect us not to be upset? (laughs) Like, truly, tell me. This industry is designed to make marginalized creators have to choose between a rock and a hard place Mm -hmm. it's it's designed to do that so either we keep our mouths shut and we hope and for the small sliver of a chance that we will sell like our diverse book with our own identities authentically written and we let those harmful books go through and we watch them hurt people even though we knew that they existed and we knew that we should have spoken up and the guilt that that puts on our conscience is astronomical. Or 
we say something and like Clarabelle said, we risk alienating people. And people say all the time like, oh, I'm so grateful for you to speak out. But like, even if they're grateful from afar that we spoke out, they're thinking in their heads, but I don't want to have to work with you because then my name is in the mix and Mm -hmm. that's too much for me to handle. And even the most well-intentioned ally might have a mind, might have a thought like that, that runs through their mind. I mean, depending on how outspoken the person is. So I think, I think there's something to be said with like what we say out loud to each other to support each other. It might be different than what is being said behind closed doors. We have to accept and acknowledge that. A hundred percent. And, and, and also, yeah, there's the fact that these, these freaking articles, like acting like it's news. First of all, it's not news, you guys. Like I can guarantee you that lots of books get quietly canceled and no one is the wiser. Like, Mm -mm. Even if it got announced in, you know, in Publishers Weekly and it gets canceled after getting announced. Or there was an author who recently said themselves that they decided to cancel a contract for personal reasons. Like there was no article or think piece written about that author's tweets because it's not actually news. It, it's them sensationalizing the fact that people of color, black Black authors, Indigenous people, marginalized people are asking for authentic rep and have to take it to the streets in order to get that actually done. So it's just it's just bad because then people from outside the community who really don't understand the nuance of the conversation get alerted because they're the like they're the only ones not who they're the ones who come in the ones who come in when they're alerted by these think pieces and they attack these marginalized people who were the ones who were the victims in the first place and it's so harmful it's so ugly it's so bad it's airing out our dirty laundry in a place where people just do not understand the context of the conversation right um it it's upsetting it's really upsetting and it's so it's i'm so over it i'm so sick of you guys like i'm not even kidding like the the thing that fucking bothers me the most is that they don't listen to us at all like the same people who are like "Mm -hmm, i'm listening and learning and i want to do better and putting out statements about black lives matter and diversity and (laughs) equity and all of this stuff and then when they want to do something and several people of color tell them no like you reach out to them to speak about your you know your non-news article and you tell them no and they and tell them this is not a good idea because it's going to bring harassment to our Mm -hmm. door Mm -hmm. and they're just like "Mm -hmm, i don't think so like you are part of the problem you are making things worse for us you are contributing to our harassment in my mind you're just as bad as the people who harass us Uh and i'm tired of it and don't take people's tweets and put them in your little articles without telling people or asking them it's inappropriate and it's unethical and that's not real journalism go back to journalism school <laughs> Clarabelle you get so mad about bad journalism it's so funny well yeah because you, you have to have some sort of integrity mm-hmm. you know and it's like mm-hmm. if you can't come up with things that are interesting to write and you have to rely on like shock value and like getting clicks from from literal racists who are coming after the marginalized community how do you sleep at night like how do you live with yourself i'm so tired of it and if one of these pieces does come out on the latest issue i am going to flame you because i'm (laughs) i'm so i'm so incredibly tired of it like you're putting a target on all of our backs and you have zero remorse about it 
And that's not right because at the end of the day, you have a job because we write books. Okay. You have a job. Harsh words there. I'm sorry. But if you are, you're relying, if you're an entertainment journalist, your bread and butter is the entertainers. If you're writing about books, your bread and butter is authors. Mm -hmm. And you need to stop disrespecting authors. You need to stop putting not just authors, but bloggers, readers from these communities who are speaking mm-hmm. out have every single right to do so. If yeah. you don't if you don't respect us and give us that little bit of humanity, then you have no right to access any of our content. Like it's just simple black and white shit and I'm tired of us not putting the blame where it needs to be on these corporations and these companies and these machines that keep perpetuating the same problems over and over again i'm i'm mad, i'm heated right now. <laughs> you're so heated but like kind of just to kind of steer it back a little bit um because we just did take talk a little about, swig of my ginger ale yeah here. you drink your ginger ale and i'll i'll try to I'll, I'll try to summarize a little bit of this um so we were saying before i wanted to kind of go back a little bit and say we were saying before like we really want to hold everyone involved in the process accountable, like so agents and editors as well. I want to make it clear that we don't think agents and editors are evil. We don't think that they're out here like twirling mustaches being like, what's the most harmful book I can acquire or anything like that. I actually do think most of the agents and editors that I interact with and that I see around, um, like visibly on the internet or like people I've met in New York City are, are kind, good intentioned people I just think that there's a difference between being a good intentioned person and actually understanding the like the microaggressions and the small like nuances of like what these stereotypes look like and these like you know appropriative narratives look like and I get it that you don't understand it because you didn't have to grow up with it like Clarabelle and I notice it the most for our own communities and then we notice it, we notice it for like other people's communities to a degree, but there are certain things, like there was a book that came out and I was not part of the community and there was a certain aspect of it. And they were like, did you know that this isn't even a part of our culture? And I was like, I didn't even know that. Like right. I could tell that book was appropriative, but I didn't even know that there was a huge part of the plot that wasn't even a part of that culture. And I would never know that. And so I, it would be wrong of me and hypocritical of me to be like, you, this, this white editor also should have known, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they should have asked too. That's the thing. And they should have noticing that they were not the expert and neither was the author have done a lot more research before throwing their name behind it. And that's the thing. It's your good name. You should be protective of it. Like this should be like a thing that you hold tight and dear to you because like, I know for a fact that like being when I worked in publishing a lot, a lot of times people would say to me, like, if you want to get a promotion, you might have to move to a different company. You might have to move to a different part of the industry, like go from being an editor to a marketer to like, you know, whatever. And so they were like, and so the only thing that you have is your network of contacts and your good name. And so, like, if you move houses, you know, your good name is all you have. Like, your good work that is behind you is all you have. And so you should be really protective of that. And so in order to be protective of that, you should be like, hmm, do I want to work with this project that is potentially problematic? I don't want my name behind that. Maybe I should ask more questions. 
Yeah. So for sure. That's and like, what we're saying. Yeah, and, and like absolutely what Kat was saying. Like it isn't the like like I said before, there's so many agents and editors who are doing amazing work. This is not for them. Like if you know if you're messing up. Um, and if you don't know whether or not you're messing up, if you're completely lost, look up the titles of your book on Twitter of the books you edit. Check (laughs) it out. I mean, you know, put all your authors, like make a notification, like do what you have to do, like take a weekend and Mm -hmm. check it out and see. But I'm pretty sure editors know when they mess up because the community is letting people know. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, For sure. But it, it's it's not the it's not the majority, in my opinion, especially not in Kidlet. I would say the the majority of people are really trying and yeah. are doing good work, and we applaud and appreciate and need those people so badly. But for the yeah. small sliver of you that are fucking up, fix it, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> we're tired of telling you how. <laughs> we're tired of hearing the apologies after the fact. We just want you to mm-hmm. do better. We don't want to cancel anybody. Like that's not what this is about we just yeah. want people to do a better job so that these the cycle can end <laughs> truly yeah and good and some of these instances have happened around agents and editors that i would consider good thoughtful um agents and editors who practice allyship all the time and and i look at the situation and i'm like in this specific situation you messed up but i also have faith that you're gonna you know you're gonna try to fix it and I'm gonna watch and I'm gonna see and and sometimes I have seen like some people who've messed up in the past and they do such all, such hard work to make sure that, that that it doesn't happen again um and maybe they do mess up again in a different way because that could happen too so I think the thing is is that like no one is like wholly you know always going to make the right decision or always going to make the wrong decision we're all very flawed people and so you know I mean I, I feel like we just all need to be vigilant at all times. That's all I'm saying. Like, this this isn't an easy process. This Mm-mm. isn't, like, an easy solution. The, the unpacking of internalized bias and racism and homophobia and transphobia and, and all of that, like, ableist mindsets, is a constant process that we are all going to be going through probably until the day that we die because we were born and raised in a society that has all these isms and phobias. And it's it's daunting sounding when you say it like that but it's it's always worth it in my mind um so let's get it together people i have faith in us yeah we can do it like yeah so many people really care and are good people and like want to make like a better world through books and like Mm -hmm. we just we're we have a limit to like patience also you know like we get tired we get tired of doing this over and over again to the Mm -hmm. point where it's just like is it even worth it anymore you know but yeah anyway do better that's the that's the tldr to this moment yeah Uh, do do better please um educate yourselves take classes hire someone to help you work mm-hmm. through these things like just do what you have to do um yeah. so that the people who are most at risk stop being harmed yeah it's it, i mean this industry was its foundation was built on on racism and and bias so like yeah it's going to it's going to probably take money to undo that and mm-hmm. that's something that people need to accept as well it costs yep. money to fix those problems yes this is not a <laughs> 
This is not an easy free solution. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Gumi Young has a secret. She's a gumiho, a shape-shifting nine-tailed fox that must hunt down men and devour their energy in order to live forever. No one in modern-day Seoul believes in the old tales anymore, which makes it the perfect place to hide and to hunt. But Myung's life is turned upside down when she saves the life of a human boy on Jihoon. And after Myung saves Jihoon's life, the two form a tenuous friendship that blooms into romance, setting them down a path that will soon force Myung to choose between her immortal life and Jihoon's. Wicked Fox and its companion novel Vicious Spirits finds inspiration in Korean mythology, culture, and K-dramas. Wicked Fox has been called a vibrant debut novel that employs Korean genre conventions for an utterly original take on the young adult fantasy by Entertainment Weekly and fresh and fast-paced by School Library Journal Review. Wicked Fox and Vicious Spirits are out now from Penguin Random House wherever books are sold. We are super excited for today's guest. Mara Fitzgerald writes YA fantasy about unlikable female characters who ruin everything. That's very relatable. Uh, she is a biologist by day and spends entirely too much time looking at insects under a microscope. She was born in the same state as Disney World and now lives in the same state as Dollywood, which is just as good. Beyond the Ruby Veil is her first novel. Welcome, Mara! Yay! Thank you so much for having me. Of course. This is the this, honor of a lifetime. This is definitely the I'm... first time we've tried to do this. <laughs> um, I've never thought that a guest's bio would cause us to get subtweeted, but I'm pretty sure that this will be the first. Well, the ruin everything part? No, the Disney World versus Dollywood part. Oh. <laughs> As someone who also was born, like not born, but like was raised in Central Florida, uh, people have really strong opinions about Disney World. This is true because I would, yeah, I mean, as I just discussed in my bio, I was born in the same state as Florida, but if you're going to come for Dolly Parton, like you can come for me as well. It's fine. I'll take the brunt of that. <laughs> I, I um, plead the fifth. I have no opinions about this. And that's how I stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> I love Disney World. I just wish that they hadn't opened while it was not safe to open. That was a Girl. dumb move. Oh, my God. Indeed. Sure. <laughs> um, anyway, Mara, how are you doing? Like, it's the end-ish of 2020. So how is your body? How is your mind? <laughs> How is your body? Yeah, I'm doing, you know, as well as can be expected. Um, how are you all? That's what I really want to know. I'm I hanging, hate talking about myself. I'm hanging on by <laughs> a piece of yarn, but I'm still here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mara, you ha you're on a podcast where you are the guest of honor. You have to talk about yourself. <laughs> I know. How did I get? You're probably wondering how I got into this situation. Record scratch. I say no. <laughs> yeah. Turn and talk to the camera now, Mara. Tell the audience. <laughs> my nightmare, my nightmare. Yeah, this is a great segue, actually. So why don't you tell the audience how you got into this situation, how you first fell in love with writing, how you got your agent and your current book deal. All right. Yeah. So I hope this is not going to be too long. I had quite a long journey. So I sort of, when I was asked to be on the show, obviously, first, I was like, I'm not famous enough to be on the show with Kat and Clarabelle because oh my they're God. Like pillars of our community. Oh, my they're God. Amazing. Please shut up. I'm going to fight they're you. They're amazing. <laughs> um, 
So I was thinking about, I was looking back at my journey and thinking about how I wanted to frame this if I'm going to relate it to somebody else. Um, so I want to start with what's going to sound like a disclaimer, which may be worrying, but it's all going to be fine. <laughs> I think it's uh, messed up when people say, quote, everything happens for a reason, because obviously we know horrible, senseless things happen all the time in the world. That being said, I think in an instance like a creative journey, you often have things happen to you that feel totally senseless. And only later do you understand how they fit into your personal larger picture. One example of this is that most published writers have at least one book in their back pocket that at one point they really thought was going to get published. Like they were so sure that was going to be the one. But now looking back, they're so glad that it didn't for all sorts of reasons. Um, often something that you think is going to be, you know, the pinnacle of your journey turns out to be only a stepping stone. And that's totally okay. Um, so I realized that I've had a lot of moments that in my journey to getting published that at the time felt senseless. But when I look back now, I can see that there's a pattern that led to me getting to the book that broke me into publishing. So rather than say, um, you know, I queried, sent 80 queries or whatever, I'm going to frame my story around those sort of moments and sort of hopefully show you how they all led to that first book deal and then how they'll continue to carry on, hopefully. I love this. I feel like I'm being told a story like by the fire <laughs> and it's cozy and I just can't wait to hear. This more. is Mara's lecture voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. I have a really professorial like manner. <laughs> so sorry about that in advance. No, it's Can wonderful. You... Don't apologize again or we will <laughs> cut transmission. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so to begin with, uh, the first book that I ever wrote that I let somebody else read a part of, I did a mistake, and I printed some pages of the book and handed it to them in person, and they were reading it in front of me. Don't do that. That's very stressful. If it's your, if it's your first book and, you know, it's sort of casual and you just want to know what they think. Um, so it was supposed to be a very serious scene, and I handed it to her. I sat there. She's reading it. I wait to see what she thinks. She laughed in my face. Uh, she was like, is this supposed to be funny? And I was like, yeah. No. Yeah. No, that's so horrible. I kind of I hate her. I mean, I, I maybe she was going through things or something, but like, I, I do not like this person. It's fine. <laughs> Mara will share the name of this person with us privately later, and I will work on a hex. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's... <laughs> If it's you have a piece of her hair, then that helps too. <laughs> because at the time, you know, I thought it was really good. But this is uh, in like 2010 when I had just started trying my hand at writing. So in retrospect, you know, it was obviously really bad. Um, and I'm going to explain how this later ties into me sort of finding my niche and voice. And yeah, I hope this isn't going to sound like a call out post for a bunch of anonymous people. It's me. <laughs> That's fine if that's what it needs to be. <laughs> they were reacting the way that they knew how to what was in front of them. And I, in retrospect, I appreciate it. So this is like the first book that I ever wrote. And I, at that time, I was kind of writing for fun. I didn't even think of querying. Like that wasn't a thing that really occurred to me. So moving on to the first book that I was thinking about publishing and thinking about querying. 
Um, this was a dystopian young adult. This is a sort of, I think, uh, a write or die. This is kind of a rite of passage as a lot of people wrote dystopian young adults at the time when they were dying and nobody wanted them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was an interesting experience is that I posted it on an online website and somebody, again, I don't mean to call this person out. I mean to sort of relate this experience to anybody who has been through something similar. Somebody literally did like a hate read of it. Um, I posted my first chapter and was like, does anyone have thoughts? And somebody decided, you know, those things where like a book is so bad that you read like every sentence. And then after every sentence, you make like a comment, like, this is like, so wild. Why would this happen? Why would you write this? I don't understand this. So I was just posting my work for critique and they had an extremely strong reaction to it. I will kill them. I am getting so mad. I'm sorry. This is the episode where Clarabelle and I transform into our final rage forms. Wait a minute. Like, I get really sad when, like, people are mean to, like, new writers. And, like, it's happened to me, Mm -hmm. too. But, like, you... Like, I feel so protective over you. Like, you don't do anything to anyone. <laughs> like, literally, you're such you a sweet your own baby angel just, like, making us laugh all the time. Like, how dare they? <laughs> how dare they? Like, Yzma is my favorite Disney princess for a reason. And I am channeling her <laughs> in my heart right now. She's I am Disney the kitten queen. with the poison and I'm laughing. Uh, You're kidding me. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) I mean, it's honestly, it's honestly like okay because I think um, the takeaway from this is that it was they weren't reacting to like a specific plot event or like character choice or something that they thought was like problematic or like you know this one part doesn't make any sense. This person was basically set off by like my voice and the way that I write and the way that I choose to write and I honestly in retrospect think this is a good thing if you've chosen a way to write that is so you know specific and your own that some people are going to be like I hate this what the heck are you doing Mm. honestly I think it's a good sign I think you should keep going (laughs) that's the takeaway I get from this I love it I'm (laughs) snapping my fingers yes Yeah, if people are reacting strongly in hate direction, people are also going to react strongly in love direction. You've made a choice. You've committed to something. Like, you're you're getting somewhere. That's my takeaway. I really (laughs) like that. I really like that. And I've been thinking that it's so funny. Maybe we share a brain cell also because I've been thinking about lately how a lot of really popular YA books have that element about them, right? Where it's like some people super hate them and there's like there have been those books where like I try to read them and like I can't get through them because I'm like it's just not for me but then there's people who are so passionate about it and one thing that I found that all those books had in common was just the authors just went for it right like they went for it in whatever direction they needed to go in and sometimes it was a little over the top or corny but it 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 resonated with a certain audience, and I think that that is such a smart piece of advice. Mara just dropping gems. Yeah, I mean exactly. I agree. I think there. I think a lot of popular YA books, even if we, if one isn't personally to our taste, we can understand what people see in it. And you're like, I totally get it. Like people connect with this thing that the author again, yeah, went for. I think you should just go for it, 
even if people on the internet are like, what the heck are you doing? It's fine. Um, so moving on from that, now it's going to get more positive. So Yay. I'm not trying, I don't mean to be negative, <laughs> but I think there are positive takeaways from the negative experiences, but this relates back to what I was saying is my next book, because obviously dystopian was considered not in fashion and it didn't really get very far. So I put that away. And then the next book I came up with was an idea for a sci-fi. Um, and so I wrote that and this was a book that I shared pretty widely with critique partners that I found online. And this is the first book that I remember somebody basically did the opposite of a hate read. Um, and she, you know, read, she read it and then she left me all these comments that weren't even constructive. They were just like, this part is so hilarious. Like, I love this part. Like, this part is so amazing. Da, 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 da. And you're like, what is happening? Like, for me, I was like, what? Like, I've never had this reaction before. But, you know, I think it was a combination of my practice. And then again, what we talked about sort of committing to something and then figuring out how to best execute that so it, it can connect with the readers that are going to connect with it. So this was the first time that I had a really positive reaction to a book. However, I sent about 80 queries. And this was the time I started getting full requests. So, you know, people actually wanted to read the whole thing. Um, it didn't end up going anywhere, but it was still an overall, like, very heartening experience because I felt like I was able to, you know, get into the stories that were really me, but also able to execute them in a way that other people were connecting with. Even if they didn't love it enough to sign the whole thing, it felt like I was sort of leveling up. That's so nice. That must have been so encouraging, especially after like the hate read thing happened. <laughs> um, and I think that's why it's so nice. Like when friends are reading your book and they like text you as they're reading it, it can be such a boost of confidence because like, especially once you have like your agent, like I know for me and Kat, we were talking about this the other day, it gets so much harder to uh, get do work with cps the same way from as before like when you're on deadline and you have all these contracts or whatever um but just having that bit of validation from your friends before like the your team sees it is it can be so nice so i'm sure that was so encouraging 80 queries is so many <laughs> yeah it was a lot oh god <laughs> Yeah, I also did a bunch of contests, too. So I did, like, you know, there was all these contests where it's, I don't even think they exist anymore, but, like, post your first five pages online and, like, agents will request, post your query online and agents will request or not, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's very stressful as well because you're, then you're putting it out in public so everyone sees if you don't get requests, right? Yeah. Oh, Claire will and I know the pain of that. We talk about like the whole DV pit thing, yeah. like doing the first year of DV pit and people wanting to be supportive and like checking in with you like, oh, do you have an agent or a book deal yet? And you being like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Stop paying attention to yeah, me. Yeah, it's so it's like it, it's it's a double edged sword, like being able to like share all those things online, because on the one hand, like, yeah, you get all of this, like, you, you, you get visibility on like your pitches, and that could lead to like getting an agent or even a book deal. And like, you have all these people who are like this built in sort of like mini fan base for your book before it's even come out, right. And that can help you get through like all the rough spots. But mm -hmm. that also comes with Yeah, the if things don't go well, 
It comes with people asking about it, asking about it during like times where you really don't want to talk about it Um, uh, or when you feel like things are taking like a long time or people like, oh, my God, I'm so impatient for it. And you take that as to like it's taking forever. It's never going to happen. It's a lot. It's it's not all just like fun and games. Okay, kids, be careful. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And especially like even if you get like I never even blessedly got no requests but even if you get requests especially if you do really well in getting a lot of requests that's a lot of pressure because then it's like everybody knows how many agents read this and none of these agents wanted to offer on it like obviously there's more than one reason an agent doesn't offer on something but that's how it feels you're like oh my god everyone knows like so many people read this like what are they gonna think oh god yeah it's it's like, it's hard because I think that we are so used to kind of like being in our own insular bubble when we're first like trying to get into the industry. So when we first start getting noticed, we're, there's no training for it. That's the biggest problem that I've always seen is like, no one, no one like mentors you on how to be in public with your projects and how to act in public and how to deal with that like attention you just have to wing it and sometimes you mess up I mean a lot of times people mess up um but it's it's really hard it's a lot of trial and error and it kind of stinks it's very stressful to talk about a project before it is sold Uh yeah because you're like what like obviously I'm talking about it because creatively I'm really excited about it but what am I going to do if this never goes anywhere that's something I've definitely always struggled with No, I think it's really hard because I I also think that we're fed this narrative of like these outliers pretty much of people who they wrote their first book in college and they sold it before they ever graduated or like the, you know, they got an agent in a week and then a book deal in two days and it was a 12th house auction and it's also a movie already. And, and we're fed these stories of being like, look how, look at the amazing things that, um, and it is great and it can happen, but it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so you pitched in contests, you queried, you got your agent. What no, I didn't yet? get my I didn't get my agent. Yeah, no agent yet. No agent yet. No agent. <laughs> Where are we in time? Okay. I've actually yeah, I've actually cut some books out. That's how like long this dirty has been. So yeah, so we queried we queried uh, eighty agents and we got some nice requests. You know, it was when you they say when you start querying and you start getting personalized responses. You know, they're like, oh, I read it and I really liked the part where you know this this and this happened. Something that shows you they actually did read it. Uh, that probably means you're on the right track, um, but that didn't go anywhere. But again, I consider it an overall positive experience. So then the next book, it's funny that you were just talking about people that sold their book in college. So I was one of those people that was like, I'm totally going to be like published before I leave college. Da, 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 da. First of all, making goals like that, that you can't control based on timelines usually doesn't really work in my experience, but that was my plan. That didn't happen. So I graduated college um, and then I wrote, we're, we're, we're at the agent part now. So it's not going to be like 12 more books, just so everyone knows. <laughs> um, so then I graduated college and I was working on a fantasy book. 
And, you know, a lot of my other books, I think the reason people had the reactions they did was because they were sort of weird, you know, they were kind of out there, not really what was out there at the time, sort of me doing my own, like, weird stuff that I wanted to do. So this definitely had an element of that. But my intention with this book, like I was very intentional, I was like, this is actually going to be quote unquote marketable this time. Like, publishers are going to be like, we can sell this. Da, da, da. Like this resembles very strongly other books out there. Da, 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 da. So I did get into Pitch Wars with that book. I was an alternate, which I don't think is a thing that exists anymore. Um, but that I was don't a really good experience. I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, it's too big but, now. People can't have more than one mentee. Yeah, that's way too much. Yeah, so at the time it was they had one mentee and then they had their alternate. But we were actually kind of a team. Like she would email both of us like together. Um, although she kind of like offered me, I don't want to like say she didn't do a good job, but like the by design, I was kind of offered a little bit less because I wasn't going to be in the mentee showcase. So it wasn't as important, but the alternates had their own showcase and everything. So it was like quite legit. Like they did a really good job with the alternates. It was basically like men mentors couldn't pick two people. So it was like, if you could pick two people who would be the other one and they can be your alternate. So I that was the sort of hate that a little bit, like not the <laughs> not the process, but like them not giving you as much because it's not going to be in a certain showcase. That just feels weird to me. But, you know, Pitch Wars isn't perfect. It has its issues. And like we said, that's not happening anymore. But like it should be about the the book first, um, which I think it's it's a little bit more like that now. There's been some changes. <clears throat> Thanks to Kat. <laughs> Let's move Listen, on. No, we do not talk about this. Um, no, I think, well, I, I do think like a lot of, a lot of these events that we, that people create are kind of supposed to mirror, I'm, I'm using air quotes, um, are supposed to mirror like the structure of publishing in the first place. But publishing in the first place is really flawed. Like it is not the ideal structure for anything. So the fact that we are, that we created so many things that are like trying to mimic publishing as like an organization is is bad. And so, yeah, I think that that's the issue there is kind of those, that idea of like, you are the special chosen one, like you are the lead title or you're the, you know, one who won, you know, the only book that can win this award this year, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, Daniel Jose Older had like a really good tweet that was like, maybe we should do away with only one book winning an award each year because sometimes the award really should go to more than one book. I like and that I a like, lot. Right? I was like, whoa, I literally never thought of it like that. But he's so right. Anyway, that's my that's my opinion on that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. It was because I had a really good mentor. Like I don't mind shouting her out, Meredith McCardle, like she was really good. So I had a really good mentor. So I had a good experience. But when you think about it, the structure was a little bit odd to begin with. It was like the real showcase and then like the <laughs> B team <laughs> in the other showcase. Yeah. The, I mean, really and, and I feel like, and I feel like that is, it's a good way to like, in terms of like time, like, like time management. Cause like, it's hard to mentor two different people. Right. Um, but I just think about the self-esteem of like the alternate and like everything that comes along with, that like that sort of baggage and when when you're in a system that has this sort of like hierarchy I think that can be really um it can be damaging to your self-esteem I don't know 
maybe I'm too much of a baby, but that's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I totally see your point. Maybe this left scars on me I honestly don't even know about. We'll never know. I've actually (laughs) talked about this. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I've talked about this with multiple people. Um, One of the things that I think prepared me best for publishing is that when I was growing up, I had a lot of friends who were like objectively more successful than me. You know, like we both played the same instrument or like went out for the same, you know, contest or whatever, and they would like always beat me. So I had to learn to be gracious about that. And I think it's a really good thing to carry with you into publishing because no matter who you are, there's always going to be somebody who will be sort of quote unquote achieving more than you based on the publishing standards so if you can just learn to also see that person as a person but then if we go and make a contest that specifically sets people up for that yeah we can definitely debate the merits of that but I think the attitude is oh it's been quite helpful for me (laughs) used to being second fiddle no always a bridesmaid never a bride (laughs) I mean that that makes sense in terms of like preparation but um, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't love it. I just don't, you know, yeah, what? I, I, you know what I don't love? I don't love the emphasis on the, the agent part of it because the craft is like really important and not the movie, the craft, even though I do love that as well, but, but the craft is in writing. Um, <laughs> even though the trailer for the new one, I'm sorry. Why did oh my they gosh. have to make it over? I don't get it. We can discuss that later. That's just we me. We can discuss that later. Um, <laughs> but I just feel like, like, like you were saying before, when you're focusing on things that you can't control, I think that makes for a much more stressful career. And I feel like the one thing that we can control is our writing. So like putting emphasis on something like that, I feel like it's, it's much nicer, but can't always do that. I get it. It just, it makes me feel icky. That's all. Definitely. I definitely agree with you. Yes. We, we are in agreement. <laughs> um, okay. Where was I? So yeah, the book got into pitch words. Um, and in the alternate showcase, you know, you do get requests. Um, and then I also cold queried. So just sending out to various agents. And that was when I found my first agent. Woo-hoo! So this is book number Yay! four on the list. I think I skipped one because there's just too many. Um, so I signed with my first agent. That was amazing. Um, we revised the book and then the book went on submission in 2015. So long ago. It feels, so it feels like it feels like another life. <laughs> <laughs> That was a that was a different time. But yeah, what was 2015? Like, what was that? <laughs> what was happening? I don't know. So the book went on submission. Um, and again, I got a lot of the kind of personalized rejections that I was talking about. Is you know when they talk about, you know, I really love this, and like it's clear they read the whole thing, but you know something about it just doesn't connect. Da 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 da. So it was pretty clear. Um, people were responding pretty quickly. It was pretty clear that the book wasn't going to go anywhere. So I was kind of struggling uh, with what to write next. And around this time, we could probably make a whole podcast about this, but my agent and I ended up splitting up. Um, This is really, really common. If people try and tell you that it's not, then they are lying. Um, A lot of it had to do with the fact that this book that I wrote, I think I mentioned above that... uh, above i mentioned before that the book i signed with her for 
I was kind of veering away purposely from my sort of natural voice and content to try and write something that I thought was marketable. And in the process, I think I ended up writing something that wasn't really me. So it wasn't necessarily good or bad, but it just wasn't really me. And this is, I think, something you have to be cognizant of when you're querying is agents sign you because they're excited for your whole career. And like, she definitely was like, she's a very good agent. So she was like, I love this. Like, I would love, you know, a whole career like this. Like, we love this type of book, et cetera, et cetera. But your agent is your number one advocate. They have to person. To, they have to be the person that is you know, most excited when no one else is excited, when like 50 editors are rejecting you. They're like, you know what? We're going to find editor number 51. So it's not just about them liking it or you know, them having a good relationship with you. They have very limited time and they want to sell something that they are the number one advocate of. And you also want them to sell something that they are the number one advocate of. So we decided mutually that wasn't, in our best interest, because again, the book I like sent her was kind of not really me. And so the next stuff I was working on, it was like, I don't really see how this fits into us working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, this is, yeah. And again, this is like very common. I think you will find, even with authors that have like many, many books out, it's very common to change agents because you change career direction or, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. We've had many guests that are not on their first agent. I'm not. Um, I'm my second agent. And it's been, I think we've had more people who, who've switched agents than not actually total. So yeah, it's super, it's super common. And I think that's really important for people to realize so that they don't put so much weight on that first agent. Like, yeah, it's important, but like people get real emotional about it. And it's like, it is a business thing. Like you're not getting married to this person and you might end up switching. So it's okay. Like take your time making the choice, obviously. Like don't go crazy now and just be like, it's fine. I'll just sign with whoever. Um, (laughs) But, but at the same time, like don't, there's people who just like really let it get to them in a way where it's like debilitating after a while. Like I'm not getting an agent. It's the worst thing in the world. And it's like, you're going to be okay. I promise. So I think that's a good example of it. Like we switch sometimes. That's part (laughs) of it. (laughs) Well, I think it's like, especially because for some reason, especially like in kid lit, I'll say we put such a premium on people starting young when they get into the industry like oh my gosh this author's only 22 years old like those types of narratives so there's all these people kind of getting into publishing in their early 20s but you're not really who you're always going to be you know in your early 20s you change as a human being like your personality change your likes change what you're interested in changes so like Mara your your journey makes a lot of sense of being like yeah when you wrote that other book it just wasn't you anymore by the time you had written your next book and that wasn't the type of book that your first agent like wanted to represent. Like, I mean, it makes so much sense when you really think of it logically on like how people develop like their personalities. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of when you're trying to, you know, work on your books and find that book that is a blend of your voice and then the quote unquote marketability, you know, something that other people are going to be interested in. You can go through a lot of different stages. So if you encounter someone at a certain stage, you may later decide that stage isn't for you anymore. 
And that's, and, you know, maybe they decide, you know, I am sort of thinking about what I want to work on as a publishing professional. It's like on both sides as well. And yeah, I think what you said about Clarabelle is really good. Like you're not getting married. People act like you are sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's not that deep. Like, and also it's not like I was talking to someone about this. It's not like you have to hide behind a potted plant when you see them at like the next publishing function. It's okay. It's a business. Everyone understands. You yeah. have to make the decision that is best for you. For sure. That's really true. Um, okay. We're, okay. So leaving your first agent, it's very scary because you're going back into the querying trenches. And, you know, we have this idea that you're in the querying trenches and you like finally claw your way out and you'll never have to go back there again. Obviously not true. A lot of people go back there. Um, so I'm going back, and this is around the time that subconsciously, I think a lot of things start to put themselves together as I'm working on this new book that I'm writing. And spoiler alert, this is the book that's going to end up becoming Beyond the Ruby Veil. We are finally here. So I mentioned before the first book that someone ever read that I wrote, they laughed in my face. I was trying to write stuff that was really serious. So now, you know, in 2018, whenever this was, I start leaning into my ability to write humor. Um, the person who did the hate read of my book, because, you know, just because they really hated like the style, I start to lean into this very specific first person narrator style that was really speaking to me. And I'm like, you know what? Somebody did, you know, somebody hated this the way I wrote it. But I also remember other people who read my book that I wrote in 2012, you know, really loved these choices that I made. So I'm going to lean into this narrative style. And the book that I wrote in the past, trying to be very marketable, I was like, you know what? I did that. Apparently that didn't work. So I'm going to write whatever I want to write. I'm just going to write whatever occurs to me. It's going to be fantasy. It's going to have dystopian elements. It's going to have like the pacing of a thriller it's going to have who knows what else. I'm just going to write it because clearly trying to write to the market isn't working. You know, the other things I've tried aren't going to work. I'm just going to have fun. So that's sort of where I'm at working. So I'm back in the querying trenches. I start querying and I got one offer of representation. So this is where I want to shout out my current agent because obviously she is the one that offered representation. And she asked me, like, do you have any other offers? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to tell her that I don't have any because she's going to be like, what am I thinking? No. <laughs> so I, like, I can't lie. So I was like, no. And she was like, well, I guess that makes me a trendsetter. So <laughs> like that's, that's the attitude that you want your agent mm -hmm. to have, right? Is Like I said before, if you sent it to 50 editors, they're like, I'm going to find editors we didn't even know existed like we're gonna you know do everything we can to sell your books so obviously I got one offer I think I sent probably like 40 queries um I got a lot of rejections basically saying this was interesting like this this sure was something but I don't really have a vision for it so it's that difference between people you know seeing that okay this is a story that you have here but do I have the vision for it? I think is where a lot of luck and timing can come in. You need to find that person who sees what you're doing and then also sees how they're going to sell it and, you know, wants to do that. Yeah, that is, that's so true. And it, and it's, 
it's so important to be able to 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 trace those sort of different kinds of rejections as well I think that like when we first start like I know I was like I was like uh Charlie in um uh it's always sunny with the with the carol board like with the red string like is this a form rejection what does this sentence mean like trying to figure out every single thing that I uh that I was told in a rejection and it's like after a while you're you really are able to tell like I'm getting closer like like this is not necessarily my writing it's just not the the per I haven't found the right person but that's it's a skill that you learn after lots of no's. <laughs> like, I also think like, there's no, there's no like exact point where, you know, you know, like, Oh, I'm, I'm gonna get it in the next couple of months or like, Oh, I've gone too far. Like, you know, I should have stopped like two queries ago. There's no exact set point. It's just like a general understanding of like, okay, this is how much I can handle. Plus like what I understand of the industry right now. Plus what I understand of the market like so it's a lot of vague variables just adding together in a soup of confusion <laughs> yes yeah I think this is why querying is so stressful because sometimes you honestly never know if it got lost in the agent's inbox because they get a thousand queries a day or you know if what you don't know what happened and I, I hear you about like trying to decode the rejections. You're like, if they said, you know, I like your title, but this, this, and that, then it's like, oh, well, if I change that, will you like it again? <laughs> no, I think we have, and another thing that helps me is to think about, um, and this is something I would do as an exercise, is you go on any sort of forum where people are posting their queries for critique. And literally just sit down and try and read 50 in a row. I know this is a very professorial thing to do. But if you just sit down and try and read 50 in a row the way an agent would, and then you have to decide, reject or request, there's no middle ground, then you start to understand why they reject a lot of things. It's not that they hate it. It doesn't mean that they hate it every time they reject it. It just means, oh, this is about pirates and I already have a pirate book on my list. So like, uh, I don't know if I want to like deal with this like oh I, this sounds interesting but like I don't know if this is really my thing this sounds really good but I don't know if this is really my thing you're really trying to marry like the agent's personal taste and their drive to sell something they can't sell every single book that comes into their inbox but it is very hard not to take it personally <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And also, I think that exercise would be really good to like realize like how much your query has to stand out sometimes too, because like your eyes can glaze over after a while reading queries, right? Like even if there's nothing technically wrong with them, like you need something that's really going to punch you in the face. And what that is depends on an individual person. Like there's no formula for that. So it's hard out there, guys. <laughs> It's so hard. Yeah, it's that's like, the moral. <laughs> like, even when you and I were just Pitch Wars mentors, Clarabelle, like, w reading all of our submissions, I was like, there's so many of them. And mm. I really wanted to, like, cheat and just assume you were reading them more, like, deeply. <laughs> <laughs> what the Confession heck? time. the first time I'm hearing of this. <laughs> but, no, okay. I, but, but I didn't. See? It's a good ending. I didn't cheat, but I wanted to cheat. So it is very easy for people to kind of like be have a bad day or whatever and they're just like skimming stuff, mm -hmm. you know. It's it's hard. You're like 
we're all fallible. We're human. So like, it's not that every day we have, we're coming at our inbox with the same exact attitude and the same exact like endurance for reading query after query after query. So yeah. it's hard. I think this ties back to into the concept of dream agents. If you have a dream agent before you've queried, um, I don't know. I would just say every agent I thought was my dream agent, like rejected me out of hand yeah. <laughs> because I think it's some, it's an expectation that we build up based on their wish list. And you're like, they're totally going to love this based on their wish list. But I would definitely suggest don't just query agents that you think are totally going to love it based on their wish list. You might be really surprised by who actually ends up connecting with the material because it's subjective. You just don't know who's going to connect with it. It's so true. It's so true. And and also, like, I think sometimes people get caught up in, like, agents that are, like, more popular and, like, more online. And they think that that is going to equal, like, you like them as a person and they become your dream agent because of that. But that's not the only factor. And also someone's online persona is not necessarily how they are when they're working with you. That's a whole different thing. But I always tell the story of like me, I didn't even query Susie because she scared me. And I was like, she'll never like (laughs) anything that I write. And I didn't even try because I was like, there's just no way, you know? And it's sometimes it's silly. You should, you should give yourself a chance. Like, Stop, like don't like self-reject before you reach out to people but because like like you said Mara like you never know they might be someone who you who you didn't expect to connect with your writing but they will and that's exactly what happened to me so what you said is correct <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the world of the story yeah you literally <laughs> just don't know and a lot of times agents will say about what they're looking for like I'll know it when I see it And again, once you start reading a lot of queries or, you know, even if you read a lot of books and you think about how sometimes you read a book that totally surprises you with how much you love it, sometimes they really will just know it when they see it. So query them and just give them a chance to see it. Yes. Okay. So where are we on the story? We keep getting sidetracked because we're having so many great conversations. (laughs) Look at us with our amazing discussions amazing banter we're almost to the end okay so where we were was I wrote you know this really weird book after trying to write something that I thought was very marketable I sort of gave up on that and wrote a really weird book I ended up getting an agent again so she's like we're gonna go out on submission and I'm like okay I've done this before like last time I did this it was just like literally two months of just getting a rejection in my inbox every week you know, which I don't hold it against the editors. They were all really lovely, but that was my experience with submission. So I'm like, here we go. (sighs) All right. I'll just like try and, you know, work on something new to distract (laughs) myself and pretend this isn't happening. So she says we're out, we go out. And then two weeks later, she texts me. And all she says is like, can we talk? And I was like, you can't just text me that when we're on submission. Like I can't, I can't deal with it. So what ended up happening is that we had more than one editor interested in the book and we ended up selling the book at auction, which was literally the last thing I expected because I spent so much time with so many people reading my writing and basically being like, either I hate this or, you know, I don't get it. I don't know what to do with this. I don't have a vision for it. And then I have five editors that are interested in the book. And I was like, what is going on? I love it. it. I love that ending. ending. I love it so much. So the moral of the story is, there's a moral. 
obviously. <laughs> there has to be. There, it's a good story. It always has a moral. Yes, exactly. I think if you want to publish in a market, you do have to study the market. I don't. I don't want this to be like me being like, screw like YA conventions and like marketability. I thought a lot about those things when I was writing Beyond the Ruby Veil. But the other thing you have to remember while you're studying the market is that what makes your book special is that you are the one writing them. The things that you are bringing to the table are the things that readers are going to connect with, even if it doesn't seem like it right now. Yeah, absolutely. So true. So, so much wisdom from this, uh, from this episode. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> um, <laughs> So glad I could provide this this hard-earned wisdom. So I, in my mind, the sort of most exciting thing about this is, you know, I tell this story as sort of the lead up to me selling the book that it's my going to be my debut, but it's only my debut. So I talked a little bit about, you know, you look back and see all the sort of stepping stones along your journey. So I imagine that one day I'm also going to see this debut book as a stepping stone, not really an end. So that's the exciting thing about a writing career is that it never really ends. It's also the terrifying thing because it's just rejections all the time. But we learn to deal with that. Yeah, for sure. And also, like, I couldn't imagine not writing. Like, not writing would almost be worse than the rejections for me. But I would hate if, like, I was done accomplishing things in, mm -hmm. in my writing career. It would be, I always compare it to that scene at near the end of The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya is like, I've been searching for the six-fingered man my whole life. And now that I've found him and killed him, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, that would be a horrible feeling to be like, I accomplished everything. My life has zero meaning. Like, I, I never want to feel like that. I always want to have more to reach for. So I think it's fine. That will never be done. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I mean, I love that. We really will never be done. That's the great thing about this career is you can always write a better book. You can always strive to compete with your previous self and write something better than you did before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's been times where my partner is like, yeah, because when we retire and I'm like, retire, I am literally never <laughs> retiring. I'm going to be writing books till I am very old and I have to like yell at my assistant to type because my fingers hurt. Okay, I'm not stopping <laughs> this. Like it's there's no slowing down the Clarabelle train. We're going to keep going full steam ahead until the very end. Like just going to keep writing books. I have so many ideas. Yeah. I have to go the whole time. <laughs> Ride or Die is brought to you in part by Tee Public. Tee Public is home to independent art on stickers, cases, shirts, and more. Check out our Write or Die store at teepublic.com slash stores slash Write or Die podcasts. Check it out now. So Mara, for anyone who hasn't heard of uh, Beyond the Ruby Veil, do you mind kind of giving a quick rundown of what the book's about? Yeah, sure. So I call Beyond the Ruby Veil uh, my love letter to the unlikable female character. Um, it's about a self-absorbed socialite who murders the witch that makes water for her whole city. Now our main character has to find new magic before everybody dies of thirst. But how is she going to do that when she lives in this sealed city that no one has left in a thousand years? I don't know. I guess you'll have to read it to find out. 
I love it. <laughs> um, also, are you still so doing good. the game on, on Insta or did we fail too many times? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I did a game on Instagram where you all tried to fight my main character and you had four lives. So you sort of crawled to the end with one and a half lives left. Jesus. So you made it to the end. Barely. Barely. If anyone's uh, looking for some, like, funny comments to to go through, I really recommend those because I had a lot of fun reading people, like, yelling at each other um, for choices. (laughs) And uh, and I I love those choose-your-own-adventure things. I thought that was really clever and a a fun way to get people, uh, like, involved in 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 your world. Bravo. That was inspired. Thank you. That was inspired by uh, Janella Angelis. She did for Where Dreams Descend. She did a choose your own adventure as well. So I was like, how can I make mine, you know, sort of put my spin on her concept fighting my main character to the death. That that was my idea. My favorite thing about our writing group is that we see something the other person does and we're like, okay, but I want to do that too. (laughs) Everyone in our group is so clever. Yeah, I know. So I just copy and ride these coattails. That's sort of what I'm doing. It's great. I love it. Okay, but I will argue that, Mara, you have some gems of, like, salt tweets or, like, messy, like, I'm just going to make this TikTok video and I don't care how it comes across kind of content. Um, So I do really love that that is becoming your brand slowly. That's great. Uh-huh. See, I leaned into that because I can't make beautiful, like everybody has like beautiful graphics. And I was like, okay, but what if mine aren't going to be up to par? So what if I make like purposely bad ones that are charming? This is my idea. I, I really support that because I think if you're trying to make beautiful graphics and they're they're kind of ugly, but it looks like you tried really hard, that's way worse. <laughs> exactly i don't want to be mediocre (laughs) you want to be the the queen of the trash people yeah exactly i did this on purpose it's like when you make a weird face in a picture because you're like that way you won't know that my actual face is weird (laughs) um so if you could kind of describe your mindset of you promoing your debut right now pandemic and all like how would you describe that in like a sentence so my mindset is I feel like this ties back to my journey but if one person likes it I'm happy you know if one person enjoys the game if one person enjoys the graphic I'm happy I think that's all I can ask for at this point oh I feel like I feel like it's good to kind of <laughs> no this is going to come across so so like <laughs> pandering I was like it's good to set your expectations low but I don't want to say it like that it's more like I feel I feel like because the the goal posts that we often see are things that are kind of ridiculous to wish for that we the realisticness of being like you're not writing to hit the New York Times bestseller list you're writing so that you can entertain that one reader you know that's what I'm trying to say (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you try and, you know, I'm not going to be happy unless this gets however many engagements or, you know, whatever. For me, that's a recipe for disaster because I feel like it leads you to 
it leads you to create something that is more inauthentic. Whereas it's like, if you're entertaining yourself and, you know, one other person, first and foremost, the odds are pretty good that more people are going to connect with something that's genuine and authentic rather than you trying to do what you think other people are going to like. I love this so much. I retweet everything that you just said. I think that's such a, that's so much healthier of an attitude to have towards just everything. And there's so much, competition within publishing and like within ourselves and it can lead to a lot of bad behavior towards one another and a lot of mental health issues as well being sort of like exacerbated because of how much pressure we put on ourselves but I think having those kinds of goals and not forgetting like the fun part of writing is so 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 important even though it's difficult to do like the more stuff you get on your plate but it's so it's so important to just like keep revisiting that and remind yourself of it so everyone go get a tattoo with everything Mara just said we'll wait yes do that (laughs) (laughs) okay everyone who is on ride or die tells us either their most embarrassing publishing related story or something they wish they'd known before they started you can pick one or the other or both it's up to you Okay, well, I've never embarrassed myself in any context ever because I'm perfect. Um, So my advice that I wish I knew before I started is that there are only two things in the business that were really going to make me happy. One of them is doing the writing itself. And the other one is making friends with other writers. That being said... I don't know how it feels to be a bestseller with like a steady career. So I'm also willing to give that a try and see if it makes me happy. Just putting that out (laughs) into the universe. I love that. We're putting our intentions out there. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right. That, um, Mara, thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's been enlightening talking to you. (laughs) Thanks. Um, can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet? Uh, yes. So on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Mara underscore Fitzgerald. And then my website is marafitzgerald.com. Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. Yay. Everybody go pre-order the uh, pre- the required 20 co- copies of, yes. uh, of Mara's book. Yes. Yeah, it's 20 hard. copies. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Mara. Thanks, Mara. Thank you. (laughs) Why are we like this? You mean the best? Yeah, we're the best, obviously. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Clarabelle A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, Wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.